<laughs> Hello and welcome back to another video on this channel. Today I am joined by none other than Ju Fu Chung, my good friend. Today we're going to be talking nothing, well, I mean, a lot of things about Genesis 12. We will start reading it and you can stop me whenever you uh, see something of, of note or interest. <laughs> now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plane in China and settled there. We said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Okay, okay, I'll start describing my interpretation. I, I actually read this like yesterday. <laughs> so in, in Lacanian psychoanalysis, there's, there's this distinction between the subject of enunciation and a subject of the sentence. The subject of the sentence, basically, grammatically, or you're, or you're pointing at. As in, when I say, I am lying, the subject of the sentence is the I inside the sentence. So it is this thing that is lying. But then there's also the subject, or, or the subject of the sentence, is what you're just saying inside the sentence. But at the same time, there's also the subject of enunciation, which is what you're, what you're trying to say, the actual meaning of the sentence that is outside of the simple meaning of the words combined. So when I say I am lying, it is not actually a kind of paradox because there we have to have a separation between the subject of the sentence, which is just uh, the I am lying, the, the literal meaning of the sentence, and then the subject of enunciation, what the sentence really, sentence really is saying. That is, well, I was lying before, I am going to lie in the future, etc. And what, how this connects with the, the Tower of Babel is that we can even we can perhaps interpret the all the different languages uh, that uh, you no know, the, the common language and then the dispersed around as this as a fact that human language even the language that a single person speaks is never uniform but instead whenever we say something we are already already saying more than what we intend so language is more mysterious than than is mysterious and cannot be tamed by a single language. At the same time, you can also have another uh, another interpretation of a kind of critique of globalization in the sense that the Tower battle, once there's so many people coming together, it will it will fall. What, what do you think? I think there's a very interesting idea. I think that your idea about language not being uniform is something very profound and very interesting. And I think it's definitely true. But I think there's a very interesting point where we look at the Tower of a Babel or a Babel or whatever you are, if you're a British uh, lad or if you are like an American dude, like whatever. But like, honestly, it's like, um, it's like, well, what does it mean if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. That's a very interesting point because it's the idea that man has infinite potential as a whole. And that's a very interesting kind of idea. The greatest man is when you work together. And that doesn't seem to new or something too profound but it does does seem to suggest that well language is such a beautiful tool in the sense that 
language is the unifying ability to humans, but at the same time, it is the language, it is the fact that we cannot connect to each other that leads to great struggle. And there's this idea that language is at the core, this connection, which is perhaps a metaphor of the language, is at the core of humanity. For, for me, it seems like the Bible is going against what the, the point you're making here. Reason what strikes me when I when I read the the Tower of Babel yesterday again to prepare for the episode, it's exactly this sentence. Why, if this common language makes everything possible for human beings, did God disperse them out around? I I feel like the the moral is that. A complete clarity of language, a purification of language. When language directly communicates what you actually think, then something disastrous will happen. Then the, the human, what constitutes human subjectivity, if I if I may say so, will be lost. Because for me, the the beauty of language and the beauty of being a human being is that I cannot, whatever I say, there's a certain ambiguity attached to it, and I am always saying more than I think, and it is this potential inside language that can always be mined that would be destroyed if we only have a single language and here interpreted metaphorically as if we 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 limit the use of language to what has very clear meaning i think that's a very interesting idea though so i definitely think that there's a mix in the idea that the reason why god dispersed the people was not necessarily the idea that they were they were greatly powerful, but more mainly because the motivation of what they wanted to do with their great power was wrong. In the sense that what they were trying to do is to, in some sense, escape the world and be one with God. Because you say here, it's like, come to us, build ourselves a city where the tower reaches to the heavens. It's the idea that, well, it's the idea that you created that tower in 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 the purpose of in the purpose of becoming like God or becoming God or escaping the escaping the world around us and and that kind of idea of escaping the world around us is so it's perhaps so kind of evil in the idea that it might be easy to say well let us build a tower up to the heavens and perhaps that's kind of humans attempt to get back to the garden of eden but perhaps god is saying well it's like you've already lost that paradise and the way to regain the paradise is not via returning to heaven in the same sense of returning to an Eden, but rather it is by via experiencing the world and making the most of the world. Well, this this actually reminds me of the passage in, in uh, at the start of Genesis when they talk about how after uh, they've eaten the the knowledge the, the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, God sent an angel to guard the the tree of life in that. If they if they also ate the tree of life, then they actually become God, and that is, in some sense, unacceptable. But this, I think, this is always the big enigma inside uh, inside Genesis, right? Why why did not why did God prohibit men to become like God? Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting idea, and because you have this idea that we want to Im- emulate God. But perhaps there's this idea that at the same time that emulating God is through a long process of working hard and living in the world instead of something which you can solve very quickly by like building a tower or or solve very quickly like um, like eating a fruit or something from a tree. It's something which 
the only way in which you can achieve it, or at least do so in a great way, is via is via interacting with the world and and understanding being. And and there's this idea that maybe we have eaten the tree of life subconsciously. And and you know when we were discussing this uh, Genesis three, it was not necessarily clear that it was actually eating the tree which actually led us to know good or evil. But rather, it's kind of like eating the tree allowed us to understand something about ourselves. Because in Christian theology, you do realize that there's an, an immortal afterlife after after death, which seems to be the, it, by itself a tree of life kind of idea. You are immortal. It's just that it's like you die on earth and you're open to an immortal kind of consequence. So in the same way, perhaps we have already, we have this access to the tree of life. It's just that we have to first undergo a certain kind of struggle or strife before we can reach the other side. Or perhaps, I, I would take the idea, but go further with it, in a sense that that's what God is prohibiting. It's not uh, life, or it's not giving us attributes like God, but <coughs> prohibiting us to know that we are God, or in some sense, we have these attributes of God, and acting like God. For me, the the most dangerous position is people thinking that they they, they know everything and they, they are godlike in the sense that they know about you better than you do, so they can force you to do things that you perhaps you don't want to do, and they can stand in a kind of Stalinist sense at the uh, vantage point of history and command command you and assign blame even if you done nothing blameworthy and in the same sense that's what god is prohibiting is this knowledge or it's this disbelief that we are god and and perhaps when we come too close into this belief of being godlike then then horrible things will happen and for me that's also an interpretation of why uh in, in judaism and and islam you can't have a representation of God, because that would make God come too close to to man. I think that's a very interesting idea, and 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 this is really you raise a very weird point, or not weird in a bad way, but weird in an interesting way. It's the idea that we know we're made in the image of God, but at the same time, there's some sense of distance between the two. And you're like, well, why exactly is that distance while there is a connection at the same time? And and perhaps reason for this distance in midst of the connection is perhaps the perhaps illustration of um perhaps idea that while we should understand that there's a divine part in all of us we should not assume the role of god in the world or assuming the role of god would lead to disastrous consequences which we seem to have established here and it is quite true whenever humans seem to elevate themselves to be beyond other human as a god disasters normally happen so for you, it, the Tower of Babel would not be a critique of this single language and this, this homologizing force. Instead, the critique would be what you do with this power. Instead, for me, the Tower of Babel is not only a parable with about what you do with this single language, but with the idea of a single language as such. I think that the power given to humans by the single language isn't intrinsically bad itself. Rather, it's that humans are bad such that when they have that power available to them, it leads to despotic kind of circumstances. 
It's kind of like if you look at like the dictatorship, the dictatorship or the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy normally created or or linked up to a dictatorship is not necessarily bad in itself, but rather it is normally the people behind it, the flaws of the people which make it a bad situation. It, it still does seem to me that structurally having a single language eliminates the potential of, of a human being or because for me this single language perhaps it's not only about a single language in the sense that we were all speaking english but instead of us having exact have having exactly the same vocabulary and also meaning the same thing for for all of our words and it, it just seems to me that back to my previous point about the subject of the sentence and the subject of enunciation what is constitutive of human subjectivity as such is this this I guess self-negation or this othering of yourself in the sense that you're always slightly more than what you take yourself to be and when for example when we have this single language and i i become identical with myself in a strict sense that i am just what i take myself to be then something horrible happens i think it's a i'm not really sure it's this because this idea of a single language is definitely fascinating though though i'm though i'm not exactly sure whether it should be taken in the way that you've taken it or at least the dangers that you directly attribute to the language itself though perhaps though perhaps there's also this idea that there is some sense of beauty in itself of having a different language and having that sense of subjectivity within it though even if there's a single well i mean it depends what you mean by single language in this passage i suppose is it a single language as if there is no indeed there is no difference between the usage of words or it is a single language but there is indeed the same uses of words for example even in english there's ambiguity and subjectivity within english itself yeah. and is it well, that sense of single language or is it single language as in like when you say something ambiguous everyone knows exactly what it means because for me if if it's single language in a sense like a normal language like english then there wouldn't be much point in, in differentiating or the differentiation, the cutoff point between the single language and these multiple language wouldn't be clear clear at all. In the sense that you can even argue that English is composed of a lot of different sub languages, all slightly different with each other. And that that's even perhaps the beauty of of languages. But perhaps we, we can leave that aside and I, I also find something really interesting in it in that we, we all, always think of God as being in the sky and I'm wondering where, where do you think this comes from that God comes from the sky I think it's a very interesting idea because obviously it's a biggest straw man as well to just critique this kind of like God in the sky old grandfather figure kind of person but then at the same time all the beautiful painters from Michelangelo to all those people have all painted God as this being in the sky well, why is that the case? I think sky is a representation of the beyond and that which is above us in the same way we we best analyze. 
analogize or at least illustrate God as a being in the sky, as being beyond and above us, perhaps. Actually, and that's a very simple way. This, to is, a, this is a good, good foray into Kant's theory, a Kant's aesthetic theory. But Kant, this is distinction between the beautiful and the sublime. And beautiful is this, uh, resides in nature. And for him, it's this propulsiveness without purpose. You don't really have to know exactly what he means by that. But what he's trying to say is that you can't, uh, there's no purpose to the beautiful. And that you can't have a concept of the beautiful and apply it to it. Uh, let's say you, when, you, when you encounter a beautiful tree, you can't have a concept of the ideal tree and then apply it to the tree and say, oh, this tree is close to the ideal tree. Therefore, it's beautiful. For Kant, that would be good. But instead, there, there is some something inside the tree in itself that's, that makes us use our mental faculties and try to judge it. That makes it beautiful, but does not make it um, good. In contrast to the beautiful, though, and this is the main point here, Kant uh, delineates the divine, uh, the sublime, for him, the sublime is this, uh, he has the mathematical sublime, which is just so big and so vast, uh, it, it just strikes you. And for him, the sublime is actually connected with a, a kind of terror and a kind of fear. And and that's why perhaps towards God is, as we said before, there's the the respect, but there's also the fear to towards God. And that is constituted of the divine. But the most interesting point that Kant makes about the the, the sublime and why I'm introducing this here is that is that for him, when we feel the sublime, what, what we're actually awed by is not what's outside inside the world, but the moral law within ourselves or our own mental capacities, which is able to represent and to think about such a limitless universe. So for him, the experience of the sky, the, the, the majestic experience of when we look at a night sky filled with stars is it's sublime, not because like we would just feel the, the vastness of the universe, but instead it's sublime precisely because we we feel the vastness of ourselves and the immense moral capacity that human beings possess. And it seems to me that Kant by doing this is almost is almost planting the seed for the death of God in some sense. Through, through his aesthetic theory, by putting it all in the subject. I'm wondering, what do you think about this? I mean, there's a very interesting idea about Kant and God because his moral theory is very theistic, even though it doesn't seem very theistic at the first place. It's fundamentally grounded in some sense of knowledge of some sense of, of, of the rationale or the understanding of the human intellect, but that is, or the pure reason, which seems to be very difficult to separate from a sense of the divine within us, if you got what I mean here in this independent circumstance. But yeah. mm -hmm. for, for Kant, though, what, what he claims about God is, is that whenever we use our moral faculty, we have to uh, posit the idea of God because, because we can actually never achieve uh, achieve morality on earth so so in in order for morality to function we need to presuppose a god who is perfectly moral mm -hmm. yeah. you see that by by positing this he's he's almost destroying god by <laughs> by positing god if you get what i mean by by positing god as this figure 
which we have to presuppose he he plants the seed for the idea that God cannot exist. Well, I think that it is dependent on like kind of what approach you're taking to God or to find God, because of course there's some people who try to find God by arguments, like cosmological arguments and such, and some people use God as kind of the foundational belief, like planting it in other people. And I mean, I, I'm not saying which one's right or wrong, but there's this idea that you people come to God in a variety of different ways, and it's difficult to say which one exactly is right, though it does seem, at least in the Tower of Babel, that building a tower towards the sky might not be the best solution for that problem. But but that's just something that you can think about, perhaps, or just bear in mind. It's like, well, what exactly do you mean when you say, well, or at least with Kant, it's like, what, what exactly does it mean when you're getting rid of God? It's, is it like, are you getting rid of God the being, or are you getting rid of God as significance in, in some sense? Because I think it's the latter, which perhaps is is mainly what what you're saying when God is being destroyed by Kant in some sense. It seems to me that I, I don't think we have to dwell here for too long, but perhaps picking on of your thread of go, going to God and uh, the, the idea of going up the Tower of Babel, for me, it, it sort of says that the, the way to get to God is not to directly pursue it, or that the straightest path towards the divine is not the straightest path, and then the, the straight path up, but instead the circuitous one inside the world of, of completely throwing oneself in the world and loving it. I think that that is, I wasn't sure you finished your sentence or not, but but I, I, I think, I think uh, that is indeed a very interesting place in which we can end off with with a quote perhaps like our discussion on quotes if you haven't checked that out which is uh, which is to not be afraid of human sin but to love man in his sin and my friend uh, my friend has indeed frozen at a very nice time where we can indeed end this discussion perhaps as he has returned we can end this with saying well i hope you've enjoyed this discussion on genesis 11 hopefully you enjoyed it if you want more content make sure to like and subscribe so you're up to date whenever we make these videos. Like always, stay safe. Thanks for watching. See you soon. Stay safe, my friend. God bless. And I'll see you in the next one. Thanks for watching and goodbye.